0: Hello, and welcome to this Rash Decisions podcast, where we look at skin-related issues, conditions, and treatments in an interesting and informed way. I'm Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP with a long-standing interest in this particular area of health.
1: And I'm Dr. George Moncrief. I was also a GP, though I've now retired from my practice, and I was the chair of the Dermatology Council for England.
0: Now, today, George and I are going to be talking about psoriasis and what we should know about before we look to treat it. And this is the first of three podcasts on this common condition, with its treatment being the second in three weeks' time. And finally, a third podcast on the management of psoriasis in tricky parts of the body three weeks after that. So do make a note to check those out. First of all, George, I do think it's a good idea to talk about the definition of psoriasis because I do think, even with healthcare professionals, it can be an occasionally poorly understood problem.
1: It is, it is common, isn't it? And we see a lot of it, so we need to know what we're dealing with. Yep, psoriasis is a chronic, non-infectious, I stress that, because I think patients worry that they might be contagious or other people seeing it might think they're contagious. Inflammatory skin disorder, and I'll come back to inflammatory and it has well-defined erythematous plaques and this distinctive silvery scale. And, and that's
0: typically, obviously, what we look for in, in practice. But before we even get onto that, I find the epidemiology of, of, of psoriasis, which, again, isn't, isn't often talked about and isn't actually taught um, quite well, I, I, I think, going back to sort of medical student days. The epidemiology of, of psoriasis
1: is really interesting, isn't it? I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's one of the most common conditions that our patients are living with. Um, interestingly, it's common today in those societies as in the past were decimated by scarlet fever. And psoriasis offers some protection against invasive strep infection. So if you, in the old days, if you encountered if there's a scarlet fever epidemic, If you've got scarlet fever, your skin will become generally red, large areas of skin will peel off, huge amount of fluid loss and heat loss and hypovolemia resulting in multi-organ failure and death. But if you had a genetic tendency to psoriasis, instead, you've got gut-ache psoriasis, a bit of hyperkeratosis, a bit inconvenient, a bit unpleasant, but nothing particularly dangerous. And worse than that, You then harbour the uh, the bacteria in your throat, ready to populate the next epidemic of scarlet fever, wiping out your genetic competition. Evolution is brutal, isn't it? it? We see paralysis today um, in those societies that were affected by scarlet fever up until the 19th century um, in the last 70 years or so, the bacteria has been generally less virulent. It's showing signs of becoming more virulent again. Um, But certainly, if you look at, for example, in China, in the 19th century, they've got great records there. In the south of China, compared to the north, um, scarlet fee was four times more common in the north than the south in the 19th century. Look at psoriasis prevalence today. It's four times more common in the north than the south and people from that background. Similarly, you don't see it in Inuit Indians. You don't see it in Aborigines. They didn't have scarlet fever. It wasn't until we brought our genetic tendency to psoriasis into those populations that they began to get psoriasis. Hmm. But the headline figures are, it affects about 2% of the entire world population. That's about 125 million individuals. And that's about the same prevalence as we see in the UK. It's between one and a bit and two and a half or so in the UK. Interestingly, it's more common in white Americans, who obviously emigrated there from their genetic pool in Scandinavian countries, than black Americans. 4.6 in white, only 0.7 in blacks. Um, And it's equal in both sexes. As far as the epidemiology is concerned, we we don't often recognise, but it does start in childhood, in roughly a third of cases, typically with the gut ache pattern, which we'll be coming on to later. Um, so, And psoriasis in children can be quite challenging because a lot of the treatments are not licensed. But that, in a nutshell, is the epidemiology, and I think it's really quite an interesting story. It makes me think about um, sickle cell and, and malaria, that psoriasis confers some advantage, and that's why the genes for psoriasis have persisted into our society today. It's Genetics fascinating. Do, yeah. Isn't it fascinating? Genetics do play a huge role. Um, about forty percent of patients with psoriasis can recognise a, a family history, and the, the stronger the family history, the more likely it is to start early, and the more severe their the lifetime experience of psoriasis is going to be. But there, there are over sixty genes that are linked to psoriasis. We, the ones we think about are things like Hm, the uh, sorry, one to ten, which includes HLA-CW6, which has got a new name nowadays. I can't remember it. And there's been some fascinating work going on recently trying to map the genes, which can now be isolated and and recognised, with the different sorts of patterns, i.e. whether you get arthritis or whether you get flexural psoriasis or whatever. So people are beginning to sort of tease out which genes are linked to which particular patterns.
0: Yes, I think genomic medicine sort of is, is slow to catch up with dermatological conditions at the moment. Enormous amounts of work and and budget going into it but at some point dermatology will catch up and this is obviously one i think that they'll be looking at first um diagnosing psoriasis you mean you would think wouldn't you it's going to be absolutely straightforward in the most simplistic terms patient walks in look at the skin patches and you go ah there you are psoriasis but one of the things i've learned um over far too many years of treating patients with psoriasis so there's a huge potential range of presentations including really quite subtle clinical findings uh, that make the diagnosis sometimes one you just have to always be thinking about and above all um, I mean we'd be doing this with all our patients anyway in in best practice but taking a good history from someone with psoriasis is really important even before you sort of start looking at the skin isn't it
1: oh I I would say over 90 95 of medicine is is the history isn't it yeah Um, I call it his story history. Um, I think if you can sit back and let the patient tell you, uh, you you save yourself making a lot of blunders. I I think history for me is everything. But yeah, there there are definitely uh, a large number of patterns and it's not always that straightforward. Flexural psoriasis, for example, regularly catches us all out. And it doesn't have that scale. It just looks glazed. You have these salmon red, sharply demarcated still, salmon red areas. And there are other patterns like superficial psoriasis, which isn't that itchy, but it can look very much like eczema. So that can be quite challenging. So yeah, there are definitely times when, unless you get the history from the patient, the family history, did they have guttate psoriasis, for example, as a child, um, and so on, you, you you can miss it. But I think it is always important, as you say, to look at the patient holistically, explore, don't forget to look for things like family history, and then Think about the aggravating factors which you're going to come on to. These are the things that drive and make psoriasis work, worse. And then, obviously, you need to examine. So wash your hands, look at the patient, ask their, advice and, uh, their, their permission, and then look carefully and feel the plaques. I think that that has an incredibly important, almost therapeutic role. I think so many people look at a rash and want to move to the other side of the room or the other side of the carriage. But instead, if you actually... Feel it. Get, get into physical contact with your patient. It is such, it's such a powerful physician thing to do. Examine the nature of the scale. Look very carefully. I roll each of the nails over in the light to look for subtle signs, like one or two pits perhaps. perhaps. And, and, of course, feel and examine the scalp with the patient's permission. It, it's being in physical contact with your patient. I think particularly things like psoriasis plays an incredibly important role.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've had patients come in rather apologetically to uh, to say to me, "Can you do anything about the dandruff?" And, not, and they hadn't realised they had scalp uh, psoriasis. Oh, so you've just got to yeah. keep that brain sw- switched on. Now, when i if I've given talks at conferences about psoriasis, and I've talked about the psychological impact of psoriasis, including some truly horrendous suicide statistics in the UK linked purely to Psoriasis Again, something that just seems to go under the radar. You can usually hear a pin drop when I'm in the room as I start to talk about these facts and people really, the the penny starts to drop with them. And it's not in my nature to talk about um, individual patients um, generally and and on these podcasts. But in this case, I think I'm going to mention one um, who can't be identified, I've changed one or two things because they altered how i view about psoriasis forever in fact they they've made me i suppose think about dermatological conditions from that point more than ever and this was a chap who'd seen uh, a number of my partners um, over quite a long time years in fact for psoriasis um never seen me and um eventually turned up at my door more in desperation i think for anything and also Probably just because I was a senior partner, he thought, "Well, I'll try. I'll try the, the, the chap at the top, if you like," um, which is no reflection on my previous partners, but it's a psychological thing that sometimes, as we both know, patients will will think. And um, this chap sat down, um, you know, very professional, very successful, professional single businessman, um, doing very well in life, had all the toys and gadgets that you would want, um, very smartly dressed and sat down he said i've come to talk about my my skin it's getting me down a bit and promptly burst into tears out of the blue and you sit there and you think okay this isn't going where i thought it would go and the conversation starts and you basically allow them the time and the space to uh, to tell their story which which he did and the bottom line was he was um, a single man not through choice he desperately wanted to be in a relationship. He desperately wanted physical contact. He hadn't hugged anyone for years because he was too ashamed of, you know, he didn't. He knew it wasn't infectious, but his psoriasis had given him deep issues of self-esteem. And he said, I cannot, you know, um, start a relationship. And this is the kicker, this is what really got me, because every morning I have to sweep my bed out of the scale and the skin and i am just cannot expose myself to the shame of that if someone was sharing my bed and for me that was just a scales from the eyes moment Um, and we talked about that we talked about his psoriasis i'm very pleased to say we managed to get his psoriasis much better and i saw him a couple of years later a different chap in a very happy relationship. And that's one of the reasons I remember him, not because there's any dramatic medicine involved, but because his life had changed so much um, simply by getting his psoriasis right. And the point of that slightly long convoluted story is that for some sufferers with psoriasis, the physical impact of the actual condition, which we can see, pales completely into, into significance. Compared to the impact on their mental health, doesn't it? And I'm sure you've seen similar stories.
1: Gosh, that's an incredibly powerful story. And so thank you, much for sharing it with us. Well, that word shame, it really resonates, doesn't it? Isn't it? What an awful, awful emotion that must be. Um, you just feel for him. And you just also wonder how young people in particular who are constantly on social media and how they look is so utterly critical. It it really is exposing them to the ferocity of our society. It's it's incredible. But it's so easy not to hear about the distress somebody else is suffering. And skin disease is visible. It's often the first thing you notice, isn't it, when you, you see someone And our society is wired to be repelled by visible deformities. So patients experience that all day, every day, and even more starkly on social media. So I agree with you, skin disease definitely punches way above the objective severity when it comes to the impact on their life experience. A study by Armstrong um, in the Journal of European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology about five years ago found that 84% of patients with psoriasis reported they'd experienced discrimination or humiliation as a result of their psoriasis, 84%. And 43% reported it had an adverse effect on their personal relationships. And that's certainly something that your patient encountered, and I have had many patients who've described the impact it has on their, on their relationship. They don't like the feel of their skin, their partner doesn't like the feel of their skin. And as you say, it's it's the scale and the other features i remember listening to a fabulous talk by Mm -hmm. a a brigadier at the royal college of physicians he's not a doctor but he's talking to doctors about psoriasis or about his life experience sadly he's now died but he, he stood up and says his opening line was i have diabetes type 2 diabetes i've got asthma and i've got quite bad heart disease um i've had a heart attack i've got bypass grafts oh and i've got a bit of psoriasis if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of any one of those, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know, bad psoriasis. Sorry, bad, bad asthma. don't like that. Diabetes. I think I'd rather not have diabetes. He said, if I could wave a wand and not have any one of those, it would be psoriasis. Now, there wasn't dermatologists in the room. Again, it was huge impact on the audience. And he described how going away to stay in hotels was embarrassing. Um, the blood on his sheets, having to take a hoover with him when he went to stay in people's homes and things, the embarrassment of it. Um, So it has a big impact on personal relationships and especially intimate relationships. Nowadays, we're talking about the cumulative life course impairment that a disease like psoriasis can cause. Loss of self-esteem, loss of confidence as a teenager can result in failure to join a team or remain, even remain in school to do A-levels. Underachievement mean, at school means further education opportunities might be missed. Career options are going to be limited. Income potential has, is reduced and relations are never even considered. What they do start, they might fail. The, the, project, the projection of this over years of something which could have been just a trivial skin condition can have a devastating, lifelong impact.
0: It is salutary, um, just just listening to, to, to that. Um, earlier on in, in this chat, you said that it, psoriasis is an inflammatory condition. Could you just sort of... Um, Dig a little bit deeper into that because we know in a whole range of medical conditions, inflammation, and it's a bit of a truism, but inflammation is not good for the body.
1: It absolutely isn't. It's really bad for you. This was first highlighted about 1979. Mitchell and Lubevich found that patients who had inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid, arthritis, or lupus. If they died in the first few years, it was usually from renal disease, but if they survived that, they died prematurely from heart disease. Um, And chronic inflammation is bad for you generally, but it is particularly bad for your arteries. Um, it It accelerates arteriosclerosis, and that is certainly the case with moderate or severe psoriasis. So you have more strokes, you have more heart attacks. Now, before I go any further, emollients are anti-inflammatory emollients as i'll come on to next time can control psoriasis they can certainly keep it at bay so i think this is a perfect time for us to take the opportunity just to say a few words about our kind sponsor Apriderm, and their range of emollients and barrier creams as we know everyone's skin is unique in many ways as a gb it has often been tricky to find an emollient that immediately suited a person and their condition. We know it's not as simple as one condition, one type of emollient. It's often the case of a patient trying an emollient and then going back and forth with several prescriptions and visits to us and other practices or other doctors, which is not ideal for them or for us. Hmm. Fortunately, Apriderm have developed a genius solution to simplify the whole process of selecting the emollient for both patients and healthcare professionals.
0: Their Apriderm emollient starter pack, which I love, contains all four of their emollients. And each of those has a unique consistency and a unique level of hydration. So the point here is that with just one prescription, uh, we can give our patients the opportunity to try each one and find the one that works best for them. Now, obviously, this gives patients choice. It aids compliance, vitally important, whilst at the same time saving time, money, and most importantly, fewer visits for the patient. Now, as a GP, that ticks every box, and it sounds like a perfect answer for me. So because of that, I've been a huge advocate of the Apoderm range for a while now, and it's such a great range of products. I actually use them to moisturize my skin. All are suitable from birth, Uh, and they're free from common irritants and sensitizers, which is so important these days.
1: I have to say that I now love them even more. Um, So if you see patients with dry skin conditions and are a prescriber, simply prescribe the Apriderm Emollient Starter Pack, which incidentally also comes with a handy patient self-care guide. It's a game changer for the world of dermatology. Right, moving on, psoriasis isn't just inflammatory and bad for our arteries. It's also associated with central obesity, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and type 2 diabetes. These concerns are desperately important, especially for us as GPs. We are in a position to address these effectively, which I'm afraid is something that secondary care are not particularly good at. And I think generally they would assume that we're onto that. So this is our role, not theirs.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is, and there can be a disconnect there. And especially when we're talking about flares of psoriasis, we've both seen how quickly psoriasis can flare when certain precipitating factors trigger it. I often say it's like petrol on a fire. Um, the psoriasis fire is just embers and it's just quietly sitting away. And then a trigger puts petrol on it and boom, up it goes. So we've got to mention some of these. Um, one of my mnemonics, uh, and there are many more than these, but I always start off with the four S's um strep smoking stress and steroids although there are are loads more but those are the ones i always sort of mentally run through first if someone's coming in with a flare
1: i think it's a really really good mnemonic I, i i like it um so strep yep um we know that that triggers gut eight psoriasis but i said right at the beginning if you've got psoriasis you you have a rather um benign relationship with the strep it and, it and you can harbor it in your throat for years and years we know for example that patients with psoriasis have more sore throats and the, the strep sitting there can be driving it and so people have tried giving penicillin to try and clear that it, it actually it doesn't make any difference even long-term courses of penicillin doesn't help smoking Goodness, yeah, um, it definitely makes psoriasis worse. That causes more inflammation, but in its own right, smoking accelerates arteriosclerosis. And as I'll come on to in the third podcast, it's smoking that triggers papulopustula, sorry, pustulosis Um Stress, well, we've been talking about that, but psoriasis in itself is a stressful condition um and then when it's flared and when it's under control that adds to the stress all the more as far as steroids are concerned generally speaking i'm worried about steroids when you come off steroids so if i had patients with mild chronic background stable plaque psoriasis i'd put a flag on their notes on their electronic notes to say caution re-steroids psoriasis what i'm getting at is When you go on steroids, generally speaking, the psoriasis gets better. But when you start cutting the dose down, it can go out of control rapidly. And that's when you get the really severe widespread sheets of of sterile pustules um, in in the really nasty, severe, generalized forms of psoriasis, which can take you on to intensive care. So if, for example, you're putting a patient with psoriasis on two steroids for polymyalgia or an acute asthma attack or something, I would right from the outset start stepping up their maintenance treatment for their psoriasis and be ahead of the game i've even seen um patients who are just on topical steroids not on anything else for their psoriasis just on steroids when their steroids are cut back that can trigger a severe relapse so i never it's one of my golden rules in psoriasis i never use a topical steroid on its own i always balance it with something more disease modifying When I ask doctors which drugs they think of that can make psoriasis worse, nearly always they mention beta blockers first. And that's because we were taught that at medical school, and some of the very old-fashioned early beta blockers could could make psoriasis worse. And the answer is yes, I think beta blockers can make psoriasis worse. They don't generally. If I had a patient who'd had a heart attack for whom a beta blocker could be life-saving and they had psoriasis, I would not deny them a beta blocker. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of their psoriasis. I'd still say use a beta blocker, but warn the patient. There's a small chance it could actually aggravate things, but we can control that. But beta blockers, when they're indicated, are critical. Same with ACE inhibitors. Um, I love ACE inhibitors, and I would not deny a patient an ACE inhibitor because there have been some reports of ACE inhibitors making psoriasis worse. The two that really matter, and I wouldn't prescribe to somebody with psoriasis, are lithium. Um, so if you've got a patient with bipolar, you need to be thinking about valproate. And I would be very careful with antimalarials. Um, definitely, we use this for a lot of skin conditions, but not psoriasis. Um, and if you're going uh, to an area where you need malaria prophylaxis, I'd be thinking more doxycycline, because that actually treats psoriasis. So, um, but it's not such a good antimalarial. And then there are a few others, non-steroidals, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. They can, which is tricky when you're dealing with psoriatic arthritis, but that doesn't stop rheumatologists still recommending them. But just bear in mind that non-steroidals can make psoriasis worse. And there have been a few reports of oral tabinofen, I think only a handful. So those are the ones I think of. Going back to more common things, um, alcohol, definitely Um, it has a significant part. And I think a lot of patients with bad psoriasis turn to alcohol and then they're into a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah. And we've all learned about the Kerbner phenomenon described by Heinrich Kerbner in the early 19th century with psoriasis, he described it. Um, and psoriasis is, like and like plainness, one of the main conditions that exhibits the Kerbner phenomenon. In other words, if you have a tendency to psoriasis, especially if it's active somewhere, and then you have injury to the skin, whether it's sunburn or a cut or an operation or even an insect bite. I saw it recently in somebody with erythema abygne, Um and they got psoriasis into their erythema abygne. But Any skin trauma can cause a Kerbner phenomenon. So that's the, those are the things that I think of when I'm thinking about triggers and aggravating factors.
0: That's really, really helpful. We, we, we touched on taking a detailed history before, so I'm not going to go into this in any Great detail, but we've got a patient sitting in front of us then we're pretty confident they've got psoriasis. Um, we've taken a detailed history um, but the assessment before we actually you know start putting hands on um, on them um, the assessment should be fairly ordered and and logical, shouldn't it?
1: Yes, and I think whenever I'm in an encounter with a patient i I, I want to tease out what they're thinking, what are hmm. their ideas. What are they concerned about? Do they think it's contagious? Do they think they give it to their children because they get too close to them? Um, And what are they wanting from me? What are are, are their outcomes that they're looking for? So I try to get that as clear as I can in my head and then even summarise that and go back and say, so what you're thinking is this and what you're worried about is that and what you'd like me to do is this. I'd always review what treatments they're currently using, and even including over-the-counter preparations. Um, That's really important to have a sort of clear idea of what's currently going on, and what's worked in the past, or what they've heard about from other people that might be their answer. You have some very interesting ideas there. Always with patient with psoriasis, think joints. Mm -hmm. Ask about their joints. Do you have any early morning stiffness in your back? What are your finger joints like? I go through all the joint sets. I've even seen psoriatic arthritis in the sternoclavicular joint. So I ask about pain, stiffness, particularly in the morning. I hope you're all doing the Dermatology Life Quality Index score. It's incredibly quick and easy. I have it on my computer desktop. Just print it off, give it to the patient. And it's a set of 10 questions, each with um, three answers, essentially, not at all a bit. and up to three. So it's a total score of 30. And it often explores the areas that I might have forgotten to ask the patient about, like does it affect your sexual relationships or the clothes you wear or the sports you do? And it's a really good evidence-based assessment of patients. It was designed for psoriasis, but I use it for many skin conditions. And if you send a patient to hospital ever and said their DLQI was four a year ago and now it's 14, they would... Be very, very impressed and know that you're onto the game. And then we're going to come on next time to what we're examining. And part of my assessment, of course, includes careful examination, particularly the areas that the patient wouldn't necessarily have thought to show you, like under the breasts, in the armpits. Um, carefully examining the, the nails. And, of course, the scalp It's amazing what a, a good head of hair can hide. Not a worry for you or me, I'm afraid. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: and then with the signs, um, and again, don't need to spend a lot of time on this, really, George. But the typical signs we're we're, we're looking for, you know, the the the, the, the plaque and the uh, the the sites involved the, when we've got the patient
1: sort of undressed in front of us. Well, it's 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 a symmetrical, usually symmetrical, isn't it? So you're looking at the nature of the plaque, you're, you're looking at the scale, and perhaps feeling it. With the patient's permission, I might knock a bit of scale off and see if I can see a little bleeding point described by Heinrich Auspitz, who was a friend of um, of Heinrich Kerbner. And uh, it's almost pathognomonic for psoriasis. You get it in Darius disease. But uh, if the scale comes away leaving a little bleeding point, that's the extended papillae um, with the arterioles going between them. But yep, I think, as I've said before, carefully examining all 29 nails and looking at the typical sites involved, which we covered. And then perhaps also feeling a few joints to check that they're okay.
0: Yeah, I think think that's that's a really nice, concise um, way of getting all as much information as we can in the time limits that we we have. So, George, and I do hope you found this chat about this common but highly life-impacting skin problem interesting, and you found this overview helpful, especially allowing you to have more confidence the next time you see someone or speak to someone psoriasis.
1: So Roger and I hope you'll join us again in three weeks time when we'll be discussing the crucial area of how best to manage our patients with psoriasis including perhaps when to refer to secondary care. Thanks again to Aproderm for sponsoring this series of podcasts and for helping us to provide the best care possible
0: for our patients. So until the next podcast it's goodbye from George. Goodbye. And as always it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.